Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. the devil are you everything good fantastic it's thursday it's the two shot podcast it's episode 31 with tom stocks uh, we'll talk about him in a sec but let's talk about you thank you so much for downloading and subscribing and joining us and telling your pals um we really appreciate it so uh good you're here i'm happy also, what I'm happy about was the lovely messages we received for last week's episode with Steve Everts. What a joy. What a story. What stories. I mean, I think we're going to have to do a part two with him at some point. I think he's got a lot more to natter about, which I'm sure you're welcome. But we'll get to that later in the year. Also later in the year, if you were listening to BBC Radio 6 Music this morning, about 8.40, I think it was, a little announcement was made, and it's something we are working on with a very well-known band. It's going to be the middle of May. I can't tell you too much yet. More next week and more throughout the week. Um, but yeah, look, we've got two extremely... Oh, I don't want to say too much. I keep wanting to say their names. Two very exciting guests lined up for two live shows. Uh, one from the world of film and one from the world of music. And that's all I'm going to say for now. If you heard the announcement today, uh, then happy days. If you didn't, look, we'll repost it and we'll, we'll sort it out. You'll know in a few days, but yeah, it's going to be very exciting. Other exciting news, we're at Kendall Calling Festival, as I told you last week, live at Tim Peake's Diner at the end of July. Always a brilliant festival and we're thrilled and honoured. Uh, from all at Kendall Calling to be asked than at Tim Peaks. So if you've got tickets, we shall see you there. Uh, let's get on to it, shall we? This week, it's episode 31. It's with uh, 31. I don't know why I sounded like a 1980s Radio 1 DJ then. It's episode 31 with Tom Stocks. And look, a lot of people get in touch and ask if they can come on or they've got they're in this or they're in that and I'd like to come and talk about it. And that's great and it's all well and good. But sometimes to get somebody on to sell their wares or talk about a certain project is not really what we're about. But Tom got in touch and I listened to a bit of his story. I thought he'd be perfect to come on because of what he's done and what he's creating and what he's carrying on doing. Um, yeah, so we did it and it was great. And now this is it for you. I thought this was going to be a short intro. Sorry. Let's get into it. This is episode 31 with Tom Stocks. I'll see you at the end. Enjoy. How are you? Good. Yeah. How are you? Good start to the day. Yeah. I'm all right, man. Yeah, I'm good. We've uh, just travelled down to London. We've got a, a madcap two days as per usual but 
got to get these things in. Yeah, definitely. Um, how do you? What's your relationship like with London? It's weird because obviously coming from up north, it's a lot of different pace of life in it really yeah so i've lived here for well three four years now but i live on the outskirts can't stand being in the hustle and bustle of it constantly i'm here quite a lot in terms of central with meetings and with all that sort of stuff but i live on top of a hill just so i get a break from it all, get a bit of distance yeah <laughs> and where were you where were you, were you born in manchester on the outskirts uh, in bolton in, are you in bolton yeah bolton, oh, i know bolton right? yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how was it like what was life like growing up in bolton um yeah it was all right it's it's just as what it is isn't it really in bolton it's it's just a proper little working class town everyone knows quite a lot of people down there you can just walk down to the shops and you see you see Betty there and Nosy Parker lives on the street. It's fine, but in London, it's not like that, really, is it? You don't really, it's, unless you're in the kind of Soho area and all the and all the places that you kind of create a community. But outside of that, you don't know one, do you? No. But at least in Bolton, there's that sense of community there, really. Do you think it's still there now? I don't know. I've, I don't go back that often, really. But I think it would be. It's, it's very rare that those sort of towns change a lot in terms of the, the areas that I was, anyway. Um, but I, I think it's become all. They're trying to modernise it all now. Like back in Bolton, back in the day, there was the marketplace with all the markets, yeah. all the hustle and bustle of there. Well, they've just gentrified it all now, and it's all full of Zara's and cinemas and stuff, which is all right. But they're just trying to be the new Manchester. One high street's the same high street. Yeah, exactly. Get the same old things exactly. on it. Get the yeah. pound shops from Woolworths back, I say. Oh, exactly. <laughs> in fact, where I live now, there was a, a beautiful old Woolworths, and when all that collapsed, that turned into a. Well, I used to work in Woolworths. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When it because I, I was there on the last day of administration, and I remember um, they were in the warehouse upstairs. They were just like, well, "Just take what you want." I got about hundred DVDs. I got a Xbox and all Did that. Yeah. I was buzzing. I was like, "I go for that." <laughs> <laughs> My year slugging out here as a fourteen-year-old lad is paid off. <laughs> Perfect. That's a nice job, eh? Yeah, it was all right. And yeah. growing up, was it just you at home? Uh, so I was the only child up until um, till I was about. 10 or 12, and then my brother was born, and then my sister. So I was, I was, a, I was quite a big age difference. I'm, yeah. Uh, about 10 years age difference now. Um, but, yeah, it was fine, because I moved around quite a lot as well, because um, mum and dad split up and all that sort of stuff. So I moved to Eastbourne, my mum, for a couple of years, mm. and then I moved back to Manchester. Um, but, yeah, so then uh, my brother and sister were born then and then moved back and lived with them. But then, obviously, I was getting older, so by the time I was 18, I was like, see ya. Yeah, got to get out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, what was your mum... Was your mum originally from Bolton and moved to... Yeah, his- they were, but they were, my whole family's from Bolton and Manchester, all that yeah. sort of area. Um, and then she moved down to Eastbourne. Um, was that for but, work or... Yeah, or yeah. just to get some distance? Or just to get some distance, you yeah. know what I mean? Um... And my mum and dad have always been in the hospitality, so they've opened chefs and, and things like that. So there was work. They used to work back in the day. What's the way they met? There was at least working all the hotels and stuff. So she knew. And my uncle lived down there as well. Um, so we just moved back down there. At least we had a bit of family down there. Um, but then I was just like, ah, come back to Manchester now. And did you? Was your brother and sister were they with your mum in Eastbourne too? No, they they uh, so my brother and sister with my dad and his partner. So, right. Um, they're with them, and then. My mum, when I moved back to Manchester, had a little girl as well um, with a guy. So, yeah, I've got two sisters and one brother. And how does that work? Is the family much closer than it was now with no, a bit of distance? No, not really. No. no? Not really at all. Quite a separated family. It's like the mum's side and then my dad's side. And they never, ever kind of cross over at all. So what year did you 
move move uh, down to Eastbourne? Uh, I don't know. What how how old were you? Roughly? I was about eight when I moved down there. Right, then... so you'd started primary school, obviously. Yeah, and you yeah. Were, what year? So year three ish. Yeah, really. yeah. So I went all through primary school there. Um, pretty much, I I did primary school in in Bolton, and then halfway through primary school, in about year three, I went to Eastbourne. And then I came back to, to Bolton when I was in year seven, so back into year seven. So as I came to back into um, Bolton, I was going into year eight. So, How did you feel about <coughs> moving away it, sort of in year three? Because I know what it's like. It was my little lad's six at the moment, and the thought of yeah. not going to school and seeing all his pals. Yeah, it was tough because... Oh, so that age as well, you you just kind of go with the flow, don't you? Do what your mum and dad tell you. So my the, my mum and dad they never, my mum didn't as do it legitimately. She like, took me and went. Right. Okay. Um. So I didn't really know what was going on, but obviously they, they string you that story. But my nan and grandpa came with me as well. I'm very close with. So right. I had them as well. Um. So I didn't move there. I was completely alienated. Um. Obviously, you have to make new friends and stuff like that. Um, but then we had a bit of trouble um, as I was growing up um, with this new fella that she had. So then from there, I was just like, nah, enough's enough now. I'm going back to back to Bolton with my dad. Um, and did, you weird, see, yeah. did you see your dad in that time when you'd yeah, gone to Yeah, I bond? did, but my mum made it very difficult, um, like in terms of... Because she got cussed... Um, yeah, just like all the court battles and stuff, which I didn't really know about. I was too young to know. About yeah, of course. Stuff. But you weren't too young to realise that your dad weren't there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and we'd all. I used to. We used to have our set times every week, but mum made it very difficult um, in terms of that. Um, so then we just, as, as I was growing up, like, I still saw him. It was on the school holidays. It was like the set two weeks that I had with him, um, and obviously sharing Christmases and stuff like that. It was buzzing for me. I got two Christmases. So yeah. When I was younger. <laughs> um, but yeah, from there we had a bit of trouble um, towards the back end, and I was just had enough, and I just went back to Bolton. And because in there as well, my mum wasn't very pushy in terms of my school subjects. So when I was there, I was predicted no GCSEs, nothing. Um, this is then, in Eastbourne. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, where you sit, you know, you sats and stuff like that. Um, but then when I moved back to back to Bolton, my dad just enrolled me into all these after school clubs, kind of get me more climatised back to where we are, um, and really push my school subjects. And I remember um, there was this like after school club um, coming up to my GCSEs, and as an incentive, you go there and do like mock tests. Yeah. And if you got over a certain percentage, you you do it in the curry house, and if you get over a certain percent, you get a curry, which is good. good nice incentive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, and that was a, a good way for me to pick up my grades and really kind of push through and get the grades that I needed to go to obviously college and uni. Do you think it was the breakup and the <clears throat> the fracture of that relationship that that made it difficult for you at school or was there something else going on? There was um so there was a guy <clears throat> who my mum... Uh, obviously, that, that has its effect, but you can quite easily block that sort of stuff out in terms of the, the, the divorce, um, the, the kind of separation and stuff, sorry. Um, so, yeah, there was that aspect to it as well, but then there was this guy who came into my mum's life who just got out of prison for um, running over his dad's head in a car. <clears throat> so right. that was not good. Um, so as I was coming home from school every day, I couldn't... I didn't have my own key... And I actually met this this fella. They used to be in the pub all the time during during um, during the day. 
So I had to go, had to, go to get the key off my mum down the local. Um, and but then they wouldn't be ready to go, so I'd have to do my own work in the pub. And it's not the best atmosphere to do homework. It's not the, the perfect environment, really, no, is it? exactly, exactly. Um, and then, so that's probably why my schoolwork suffered, because it was such a fractured lifestyle down there, and I never had someone kind of being strict with me in terms of my schoolwork, so you can quite easily get away with a lot of stuff. And um, so, yeah, trying to, do your, trying to do a maths test in the middle of a blaring pub on a Friday night is not the best. Uh, no, the best, uh, no, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. So. But did you enjoy school? <clears throat> I mean, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who, uh, you know, didn't particularly get great grades at school, but you know what? They loved going to school, they had great friends, they had yeah, a good... I think in, East, in Eastbourne, I, had, I did, I, I've, I've, always, I've always been quite a social person, so I make friends quite easily because I'm quite a chatty person. Um, so that that's no problem to me. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... And you always have your ups and downs in schools and that sort of life, don't you? Um, but I think when I, when I went back to Bolton... I think I flourished a little bit more because I had more after-school clubs. I played my rugby, played football, played... Obviously, did my drama. You're a big sports fella. Yeah, big yeah. sports one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm obviously going to watch City as well, Man City, um, and being enrolled into all these different clubs. And it just made it a lot easier and a bit more of a settled lifestyle and getting more friends and being more sociable. It just helps you a lot more in the future as well. Um, but, yeah, back in, back in Eastbourne... I did a little bit, so I've always done scouts. I always did scouts when I was younger. Um, so the extracurricular um, stuff you were very busy with? Yeah, but then with the school stuff, it always took a backseat, especially in Eastbourne, but obviously... But then my, when I moved back to Bolton, to find that balance of after-school clubs and um, and obviously with the, yeah, just the extracurricular and the, and the school stuff, it just... Um, my dad found it very... And, and Kath, my stepmom, she... Um, they found it very easy to balance it out for me. Obviously, I wasn't. I was a bit of a terror as well. Um, but yeah, it, it all worked out in the end, I guess. <laughs> so when was would you was drama on your syllabus when you went into sort of uh, secondary school? Yeah, it was. Yeah, and I, I've all, I always did like little bits and bobs. Like when I was first in Bolton, my first kind of spells and you know the nativity and and all that sort of stuff. The usual. Yeah, the yeah. usual. And then obviously uh, every year you always do in primary. You always do like, like little shows, don't you? I was always in them. <clears throat> um, and then went back to when and then back in kind of Bolton and Manchester. Um, then yeah, then I, I still did. That's when my dad put me in the drama clubs. Um, was that something that you asked to, to do, or was that something that he thought? He thought because he, he knew I, I've always loved it, but because being in the sports crowd, like rugby and football, it's never really the kind of. It's always seemed a bit pansy in it when in, in terms of rugby and football players in that sort of circle, in terms of that sort of community as well. So. I used to have like rugby training on on like Tuesday and Thursday, and sometimes I have to miss it because I was in I was in school shows. I wouldn't tell them that I was in a school show. I'd tell them I was injured or whatever. Right. Um, but then eventually I did tell them, and then obviously you get you get a little bit ripped for it. Um, but uh, and then I think after time went on, the, the rugby team went a bit rubbish, um, and I was getting more and more into the acting side. So my dad took me out of the rugby. Um, kind of back end of when I was like 15, 16, I think I was. 
um, and put me in the Octagon Theatre youth group in, in Bolton. So I started doing what, what that. What was that? Because, of course, I know the Octagon well, mm. but what was the, the, the youth group there? Uh, is it called Youth 8? I think it was like Youth 8 or something like that. And it was um, it was th- 13 to 16-year-olds. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Mm. Um, and it was just something I'd never done before, really. I've done, obviously, in the school shows, but in terms of, like, doing workshops and... And stuff like that, and paying like three pound a week or whatever it was, it was it was ideal. And was it once a week? Yeah, it was once a week, and then um, then you do and then you do summer shows as well, uh, and then you do do the odd shows every now and again. Um, that little show that you can bring your parents to and yeah. all that, to see the kind of progress and what that three pound a week goes towards. Um, and then yeah, as a, I, I think I stayed there for about a year and a half, two years, and I really loved it. But then. Uh, I was really inspired by the, the teacher there. The, the workshop teacher was lovely, but she left. And when, when she left, another teacher came in. I wasn't that into her, and I wasn't that into what she was doing. Um, so then um, my dad was like, well, let's fork out a little bit more money for you um, and go to Stagecoach. Um, obviously, the big stage schools across the UK, Stagecoach. You see, um, all that passed me by. I kind of know of... Stagecoach. Yeah. But just, just to, to pop back, when this, when the new lady arrived at the Octagon, mm. did you feel, why do you not feel you got on? Was it something that... I don't know what it was. I think she... Because in those environments, because um, I know people have been through the Oldham Theatre Workshop and various other things at yeah. Nottingham, and what they got out of it was they didn't feel that it was like school. They didn't feel they were they were spoke down to. They were yeah. spoke on, on a level. Yeah. So do you think maybe this other I think one that's that came what it in? was? Yeah, I think I think when when I went there, I had such good fun. I had such good mates there as well. Um, and because obviously, as you're getting older as well, in terms of I was like 15 at this point. Obviously, you start to fracture off a little bit, and, yeah, and your body's going, going through changes. Yeah. You're going through changes, and you're not wanting to go to the Octagon Theatre on a Thursday night. You want to go to your mate's house, yeah. And that's just the way that's where you are as teenagers. Um, so a lot of my mates left as well, and and then obviously this new teacher left, and um, I wasn't enjoying it that much anymore. I used to proper looking forward to going every week. I was buzzing. I was like, "What we're going to do this week?" And um, they had a really nice community there, and. Obviously, got free theatre as well, so that was really inspiring. It has really got me on the right track in terms of watching. I remember watching Kane Dingle and Matthew Kelly in a show, and Oh, What a Lovely War. And I remember just watching it and going, I love that. I want to do something like that on the main stage. Um, and it was, it was amazing. And then, yeah, then the, the new woman came in and she was a bit older, like, because the, the one that taught us, she was a lot younger, so you. She kind of got it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But then when an older woman comes in, um, she was she did kind of speak down to us a little bit and did thing and it, yeah, I suppose you're right in terms of it was a bit like school, um, which is I already I already did school after classes in terms of drama yeah. every Monday. Um, I don't want to do that again. I've come here to kind of. Did it make you feel? I suppose. Did it make you feel less free? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and they started doing weirder and weirder things. Like there was. This, we used to do a lot of script work and a lot of um, things like that, and it was and just like shows that you should know about. And then when this new woman came in, she she introduced us to like new writing, which is which is brilliant. Um, and we devised our own show, which I really enjoyed as well. But then after that, it got a bit weird. Like it was all like, in what way weird? In terms of like really contemporary for a fifteen-year-old trying to do a play, and you're on stage pretending to drown, but like in a very abstract way. You, it makes you feel very self-conscious because you, yeah. know, you know it looks rubbish 
And then your parents there nodding and smiling and going, yeah, that was really good, but you know. And then later, we still joke about it now. They were like, do you remember you like, doing that weird drowning thing on stage? And I was like, yeah, I remember that. Um, and it just, and it was just, it was just very out of the comfort zone for a 15-year-old lad to kind of do that. Yeah. Um, and obviously you're very vulnerable at exactly. that age. And, and to do that... In front of girls as well, do you know what I mean? You, you don't want to look yeah. like a, an idiot. And, and you, especially and I, when yeah. you're supposed to be on stage and all your inhibitions have gone, you're not supposed to feel vulnerable, you're supposed to feel free. Yeah. And it's your your space and you're <laughs> yeah. in charge. And there's nothing worse than a, a tensed-up <laughs> young lad. Yeah, exactly. Drowning. That's terrible. Maybe she was just pushing... Uh, too much too soon yeah I think so yeah I think I think in, in like drama school or uni level that's absolutely fine even college level dipping the toe in the water with that sort of stuff yeah. absolutely fine but as a, a young man in in his basically in year 10 that's just not the, I don't think that's the time kind of script work we should be working on because it's supposed to teach you how to be confident in theatre that's the whole point of theatre and TV and film especially and at that age yeah. yeah it teaches you to be confident and whether you go on to do drama or not afterwards but whether you go on to be a lawyer, whether you go on to be uh, a chef or anything, if you build that social confidence in which is what drama teaches you, it makes you a better person. But um, And that's what and drama does, and that's why it's a shame it's being taken off the curriculum now. Um, but it does make you a better person in terms of your social technique. Of course. Um, and I think doing that sort of script work is a step back, not a step forward sure. at, at that age anyway. Because even now they say it now at... Um you know, uh, f- four, five, and six-year-olds, if they're a bit shy and introverted, mm. get them into drama. Exactly. Say, get them to do a bit exactly. of And it does work for some people, and some yeah. people, I think you, you can't push those kids too much. Yeah, If yeah. they want to open up and, and blossom, then they will. Yeah, exactly. You have to find out what's right for you, I suppose is what I'm saying. Exactly. So, in a way, that's great. The drowning it didn't put you off. No, it, it didn't. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Yeah. So your dad said... How lucky that your dad, you were in a position where your dad said, look, we can afford to take you to... Well, yeah, because the thing is, it was we've always been kind of, like, not that well off. but um, And especially when, obviously, two younger kids are born as well. Um, obviously, the money goes... It's got to be split evenly. Of course. Um, and, but <clears throat> he knew that I didn't really want to do anything else. Like... When I was in Eastbourne, I always said I want to be a bricklayer. But that's because it was drilled into us. You you weren't ever to aspire more than a certain level of intelligence. Yeah. You, you, you're you a bricklayer, you're a hairdresser. Those are the jobs that you were aimed to go to. Wow. Um, but then as you, as I went in more and more, my dad and I was, my dad's been, and my family have always been so supportive of my drama. They always tell you, go get a proper job, but they still got to be supportive in, in some ways. Um, and he knew that it was, it's what I wanted to do. So... To kind of pay a little bit extra money for me to go into stagecoach, which kind of was very daunting for me because I just wanted to do acting, but stagecoach teaches you singing and dancing. Just explain to me what stagecoach is. I think I know, yeah. but there'll be certain people yeah, listening yeah. That, that won't know. It's like a, a stage school for, for younger kids. They start from anywhere between three um, and 18, basically. Uh, and there's little, Up to 18? Up to 18, right. yeah. So it's little classes all the time. Um, and I'd never done anything like that before, apart from like little musicals like Wizard of Oz or Oliver, which I've done uh, when I, at, at that age, um, which is still very daunting because singing and dancing, especially when you're in the rugby team and all that, it's not, not the best sort of no, thing. No, of course, you get very self-conscious. Of course, of course. Um, but then I went on um, and he took me down to stagecoach and they said... We'll give you a month free. Let him see how he goes. See if he fits in. So is this a? Sorry, forgive my ignorance. Is this a? It, 
So you're 15, aren't you now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would this be instead of going to school? Would you be there every no, 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 day? No, 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 no. This is like a weekend. This is like a oh, Saturday right. morning. Just okay, a Saturday morning. A Saturday morning. Yeah, All right, yeah. I'm with you. Um, so literally, this is, yeah, I'm still doing, I'm still at school. Still right. at high school doing stuff. But on Saturday morning, um, I would go to stagecoach. Um, I think it's like, I think it was, it was um, nine till one. And then you had the option to stay a little bit later if you wanted to, to kind of work on some stuff. Or was this in Bolton or was this in Manchester? This is in Bolton. In Bolton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is in Bolton. But, um, and <laughs> it's quite funny because where it was is a place called Horwich in Bolton, which is a very, very posh part of Bolton. Yeah. Um, and that's not what I'm used to. And all the people that went there were very, very posh people. Lovely, but you knew you kind of didn't fit into that social scale a little bit. Were you... I'd say this. Did, were you made not to feel? Did you? No, did you not feel accepted? No, not at all. Not at all. I wasn't made to feel not accepted. But do you know when you, you can? You just know. Like, do you think? Do you feel your guard went up because you knew that they from a, they were from a different? Yeah, exactly. Part of town. Yeah, exactly. As the, yeah, and which is fine. Um, and I was never made to feel like I was not. I was not there, but. You, when you have those sort of conversations and and they're like, what are they doing that evening? Like going off to the the theatre or they're going off to to do stuff that I probably couldn't really afford that much. Um, but that's fine. But then it improved me as a person, and you got you got to dabble in different social groups to make yourself a better person to how to deal with different situations. Uh, of course, yeah. Um, but then when I went there, I, yeah, like I said, I did, I did that month free, and, and I felt it was all right. Um, so did you carry on? Yeah, I did. I did it for about a year. Um, right up until until like like Christmas time before my GCSEs, because then I was like, I had to pack it all in because my dad was like, you need to knuckle down now. Um, and I was like, okay, so um, I did it. Yeah, I think I did it. How long did it? it? Must have been about it wasn't about a year. It must be about eight months anyway. Um, and it was good. It, it taught me a bit more how to sing, a bit more how to dance. I, more strings to your bow as, as you've got to do as, as you get into this industry. The more strings you have, the more jobs you get. Um, and that's what I did. And I surprisingly really enjoyed it. I thought I thought it was going to be a bit pansy, a bit girly, doing all these kind of singing and dancing, which I wasn't used to. Um, but I actually really enjoyed it. Like There was the singing, there was like different classes, which I'd never had before, just for singing, just for dancing, just for acting. Um, which was a really big culture shock in terms of that, and I actually really enjoyed it. It got a bit boring at times, but then you've got to understand that's that's what you do in that sort of education. Um, but yeah, I did that for about eight months, and, and we did like a little show. We did like I think we did like um, little dance, um, like a dance show and a singing show and a big showcase at the end that you see invite all your parents down and all, all your friends and family, uh, and it was it was brilliant because. I'd never had that before. My cousin, she was in dance and, and uh, that sort of school as well, um, in Bolton, like a little dance school. And they used to have the Royal Albert Hall every every year. And it's a massive thing. Um, and I used to love going. I was like, um, oh, that's my little cousin. Like, she's, it's brilliant that they do that sort of stuff. And for me to go that and do the same, I was like, brilliant. Um, and, yeah, so it just kind of went from there, really. But then, obviously, as the GCSEs came in... Um, so I had to kind of pack it in for a little bit. And did you get your head down with GCSEs? Yeah, then I got my head down. Then I was I was surprised. I came out with nine, nine GCSEs in the end. That's fantastic. So I was buzzing. I was predicting none and then going to nine. I, were, I mean, I scraped them. They were like all Cs and then drama was A. Still there. But they were there. Yeah. 
Um, and I was I was so chuffed. Um, and I really wanted to go to Turton Sixth Form. That was the one I wanted to go to. Um, and I um, and I was my grades were still a bit iffy for me to get in. But then there was a place called Pendleton College in Manchester, which is a BTEC, and I didn't really know what that meant. But we went to an open day anyway. Um, and it was absolutely amazing. Like, it was just a, a school, just for free, dedicated to you singing, dancing, and acting from nine till six o'clock at night. And yeah. I was like, that is for me. Because I've never been that academic in terms of, of doing essays all the time. And I think if I went to Turton Sixth Form, I'd have to, I wouldn't be able to just take drama. I'd have to take other two subjects as well, which I wasn't that keen on. But with the BTEC, I just did uh, musical theatre. I ended up doing musical theatre in the end. Because um, when you start a BTEC, and I, I don't know if this was right, at um, Pendleton, mm-hmm. you have your foundation course, don't you? And yeah. then there's another... And yeah. then you can do another two years, or you can go in at a first year, can't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Where, where did you go in at? I went in at the first year, so I did two years there. Right. And, um, so, yeah, I went there, um, did two years of, of musical theatre. And it was just something that was just amazing and it had such a high reputation as well like when you go in there you you, dr- you have to audition to even go in there yeah um, which is something I'd never done before because I had, had to prepare a song and I had to prepare a little monologue and stuff like that which how I'd did you find done. that? well I'd never done that before in terms of like did you have help audition. with that? yeah well obviously with Stagecoach I, w- I knew some of the teachers there I was like can you just help me because I'd never done this before um, and obviously they're used to that sort of um, stage child in, in terms of that or sort of I'd never had an audition in my life um, apart from like the old school show it's not really an audition is it really um, so I had to go there and it was, it was the first like serious audition I've ever done um, and I didn't know what monologue to pick I was like I don't know what I'm doing um, and I think they were like do you know any any writers that are from Manchester I was like Jim Cartwright <laughs> They were like, have you ever seen any of his shows? I was like, I think Road was on at the Octagon while I was there. And they were like, well, just do one from that. So I did. Um, And then I've I've just done... um, During the summer holidays, um, Stagecoach were doing like a a little musical in Bury in one of the... in the theatre there. And they did Dracula the Musical. Right. (laughs) Which was just ridiculous. That well-known musical. Exactly, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And I was Dracula and I sung... And I was like... I don't know, one of the songs from Dracula. So I just sang that. Um, and I got in. I was I was like, oh, can't believe it. Um, with, a, with the Dracula the musical song. And uh, um, and yeah, and then I started there. And they do, they have like a season of shows. They have four musicals a year and three plays. And one, and one of them Shakespeare. And I was like, this is amazing. And then they always tell that, they always have the drama schools from London come into the college to audition. So they had RADA, they had Guildford and Mountview coming into the college because of its reputation to handpick people to audition for their school, which is amazing. Um, and that sort of reputation and that sort of... Um, that sort of way of life and that community was something that I'd never experienced and I loved it. I loved it. For that two years, it was... I probably got that was probably the best training of my life, to be quite honest. Yeah, and it was and it was going to Manchester every day as well. Obviously, going going to Manchester from Bolton, um, it was good because obviously you can say oh, I got to college in Manchester, not Bolton. 
Um, it sounds a bit bit cooler at that sort of time. Um, well, it does, especially when you're in age. Yeah, and, exactly. and at that point, Manchester's yeah. the place. And it? when you're in Bolton, they're, they're all uh, and they're all still at Turton and. Um, and they're like, oh, do you want to come out? So I'm like, no, man, got Manchester tonight. I mean, how incredible <laughs> that your dad, when you when you're just jumping back a bit, when you move back to Bolton, he went right, okay, we've got a knuckle down here. Mm. Let's get you some tutors. Let's get that sorted. Mm-hmm. And he also knew to try going to stagecoach because he, he knew that's what you wanted. Yeah. And then it was there that other things were unlocked for you. You never thought about singing and you dancing before, no. had you? And that that really. Filled yeah, a passion definitely. for you. And he's never had a theatre background in his life. Like, I'm the only person in, in my family, apart from my little cousin, um, who did a little bit of dancing, has, has ever even done drama or even dabbled in drama. They've always been chefs and... And your dad never even tried to get you into the hospitality route at all? Well, I used to do pot... I was pot washing when I was 13 in, the, in, the, in his pubs. Well, you've got to earn the money. Exactly. Yeah. So, and he was always head chef. He's that's what he's always been. So, when as I as he was going to the kitchens, he'd be like, "Do you want to earn yourself twenty quid this week?" And I was like, "Yeah." He was like, "Come down to the kitchens and wash these pans." In, I was like, "Okay." <laughs> um, so he was, he was trying to instill a good work ethic in you, even oh, when he was young. Hundred percent. I didn't want to do a paper round. Like I didn't want to do that. I could have quite easily got a paper round, but I didn't want to. It wasn't like good money. It was like two pound an hour or whatever it was. Um, but with the pot washing, like I come in. Um, at like six o'clock, and I'd finish at eleven. Obviously, my dad would take me home anyway, um, and I'd earn myself like thirty, thirty, forty quid, which is banging. Um, and a lot of money for that age. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, it wasn't all the time. It was every now and again um, when he's because obviously pot washes in restaurants come and go like yeah. anything. Um, so he used to get me down every now and again, and then as I was as I was um, doing that, he'd make me do a little bit of prep, like a bit. Of, go and chop that carrot over there or do a little bit of salad prep or whatever. Then he, I would come in and, and do desserts and stuff like that. Um, so he'd, he'd make me do um, all the desserts and stuff like that for the restaurant. Um, and then, yeah, then that was kind of like my way in in terms of I knew that as I was at college, I would do college during the week and at weekends I'd go in and do do the, do a little bit of chefing, a little bit of pot washing to make myself some extra dollar on the side. Um and then I built up a really good reputation with the restaurant that when I was old enough, so when I was 16, um, 17, I could go and do a bit of waitering as well. Right. So I did that, um, and I was there for like three years, just like on and off all the time. Um, and they were really good to me. Um, it was stressful, like, um, but it, it earned me the money, and then I got put on the proper wage and not just like the you know, little backhanders yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. there, which I wasn't supposed to get because yeah. I was so young. Um, had you said to your dad, look, you know, or had you even said it to yourself, yeah, this is what I want to do, I want to be an actor? Yeah, I, th- I think, at the, co- the college level, yes. In in school, I was still a bit, like, leaning what I wanted to do, you know, you know, and then you get the careers advice officer who steer you away from that sort of, yeah. uh, that sort of life because they don't deem it a proper job and not a regular income. So then they're like, oh, if you got you, you're very good at drama. Maybe you could be a teacher. Sure, of course. Um, And I was just like, yeah, I'll be all right, but I don't want to do that. I want to be an actor. Um, So do you think your dad, because he sounds like quite a smart fella, was uh, trying to teach you a separate trade as a backhand, just in case everything falls through? Ever since I was, ever since I moved back, he was like, you've got to have a plan B. You've got to have a plan B. That 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 acting gigs like I know, um, 
that it's not a regular income, it's not, so you need something on the side. So that's why he was bringing me into the kitchens. And I, I be, when I came to London, my first job was being a chef. Yeah. Um, well, how great that you got a passion for the chefing, though, as well. Yeah, exactly. Because you obviously enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and... Because, of course, that's a form of expression and yeah. creativity as of well. Of course, so yeah, definitely. There must be something in you that goes, right, yeah, let's definitely. sort this out. And because I've been brought up my whole life, like my, my dad's a chef, my mum was a chef, they, uh, and they've always worked hard. So I've always been brought up around that atmosphere. So to get me in there was probably the right thing to do because it was easy for me to, to get in and out all the time and be flexible and not affect my, my college and schoolwork either. Um if I had if I had a show on that week, or if I had a, a big if I had a, an essay to write, um, I just phone and go, look, I'm sorry, guys, can I just? And they're like, yep, yeah, no worries, no worries, no worries. Um, and it helped that the dad was in management as well. Of course, obviously that helped. Yeah. Um, but then he left um, to go on to um, bigger and better things um, in, in terms of chefing. So that, but I stayed there because he was so good to me. Um, you know, sort of your ups and downs and, and all that sort of stuff, but well, it's a str- I mean, it's a stressful environment. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, so as I was going through college and stuff, that's that's what I did, and that's how I, I made the extra money to kind of and uh, able to go out and, and enjoy myself and not be sponging off the bank of mum and dad, which yeah. I didn't have anyway. Yeah. Um. So to make my own money, it makes you independent, makes you a better man sure. for it, and um, because you've got a regular income that you've earned yourself, and you and you learn the value of money. That's what I think a lot of people don't understand when at that age, and especially coming into it. If your mum kind of give you the po- um, dad give you the pocket money all the time, and you're not working for it, then you don't appreciate that your hard work is going into making that money. Um, and I was taught that at a very young age, and I still do it now. Um, and it's made me a better person for it, and and have that work ethic to kind of get further in life with with everything that goes on. So, the, towards the end of your time. Uh, at Pendleton doing the BTEC. Mm-hmm. Did someone sit you down? Did they say, Tom, right, what are you thinking now? Yeah, Where well, are you the, going? It, was always, it was always drilled in that everyone had to go to drama school. Everyone. If, in, if you're in that musical theatre course, you go into drama school. And I was like... Was right. it something you wanted to do? Yeah. I, well, I guess at that age, like, if that was the only thing that, that was offered to me, yeah, it was either... And uni was looked down on as well. There was the odd musical theatre uni like Chichester and places like that were offered a very good course, um, but it was always drama school. They were like, you've got to go. If, you, if you're in Pendleton, at the end of this two years, when the drama schools come knocking, you're going to pay your £30 or whatever it was back then, um, and you're going to audition for these schools. And we were, we were, just, we were just like, OK, fine. Because uh, we didn't know any different. Um, and they probably wanted your next level of training of course, yeah, to start. Yeah, and they probably had something under the table with them going, we'll, we'll get everyone in the course to kind of audition for you. Do you think that? Yeah, I think Do so. Do you? Well, I think if they're coming down and they're only going to... They're coming all the way from London to Manchester, which doesn't happen anymore. Um, they've got to have... There's got to be some sort of... What what are they going to get from coming to, into a college which they don't do in anywhere else? They come in, they specifically come to this Manchester college to audition people, um, and if only two people, three people turn up, then they're not going to make any money. So I I, put, I 
I mean, I don't know. I'm just making speculation now, but I, there's got to be some sort of... I'd just like to say that is uh, an allegation from Tom and yeah. nothing to do with us on the Two Shot Podcast. Yes, of course, of course. Well, you know, you're, you're entitled to your opinion. Yeah. I wasn't there, I don't know. But if that's what you believe, did you investigate that in any way? Did no, you speak to any other people about that? Or what no, they not thought? at all. It was just... But uh, Obviously, with the reputation that we had as well, obviously, they're coming down for a reason because we've got reputations and... For, um, for excellence. For excellence, yeah. yeah. And... When you if you go if you go into into Arts Edge, go into Mount View, you go into Rada, you go into all those sort of places, they'll know Pendleton. They'll know that 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 was the, that is the school in Manchester that you've got to go to, and, and they'll handpick people from um, because of its because of its excellence um, and because of its high quality training that they give over that two years, and it's absolutely phenomenal. And they give you industry ready training at such a young age as well, and it was free. Like it was amazing. Yeah. Um, them were the days. Those were the, they were the days, So yeah. they come down, mm-hmm. and do you audition in front of them? Or you, yeah, was so it, they, uh, they, just, they put you in the theatre, because the Pendleton had two theatres, which is really odd for a college. They had uh, the big um, Christopher Eccleston Theatre, and then they had the other theatre on the side. Um, so it was called the Christopher Eccleston Theatre. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Um, and... Um, yeah, so they, they sit you down there, and you're all sat there and waiting for your audition, and... Things like that, and you go in there and do your do your um, your song and your monologue. But at that point, I'd realised I didn't want to do musical theatre anymore. Right. Because um, coming through uh, Pendleton, like I could move and I could hold a tune, but I was not like West End standard, which some of the people in my school were. Right. At that age, um, and I was like, and I was always known for my acting I was always uh, I started like in my first year I was doing all the musical theatre shows and then towards my second year I was like mm, I'm going to dabble in the acting a little bit more uh, in the PA stuff um, and I got into a play there called Journey's End and um, The Crucible we did um, and I, I was like I think I like this a bit more than just Singing and dancing. Well, so. it always takes time, whatever route you go down, to find what your thing is yeah, and course. who your people are. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 100%. And that's what I wanted to do. I, I think I did Journey's End, and um, it was just it was just like six lads, and we had a really close bond with each other. Um, and it was amazing, like, over that kind of four-week period that we were rehearsing... They were making us really go into this play. Um, they took us uh, down to some field or some park in Manchester, and they made us like army training. They made us do army training, and I remember, <laughs> I remember, because I was the German in it, I was the Nazi, and they were all the English. So I was, and I had to go and run away in this forest, and they had to find me like a manhunt, and they found me, and the teacher was with them, and. Um, they got a bit of method on it. They were, and it was an interrogation scene that I was in. Um, and he's like, go and interrogate him. And they, they grabbed me. They, they put a bag over my head. They led me around the park for about 20 minutes, not knowing where I was going. They led me down in front of this pond and they kept dunking my head in the water. Just not like, um, but just like little bits to kind of know how it would feel. Um, were you fully submerged underwater? Little bits, yeah, like definitely, but for like two seconds. It's just to know how it would feel to be but in that still. Sort of, but yeah, exactly. Those, but um, but I loved it. I loved that. I was. It's never something I'd done before, and I was like, 
I was scared. Like, I was at the end of it, I was like, what did you do that for? What did you do that for? But obviously, there was a sense of trust there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And they did a lot of trust exercise before that. There was, again, um, when we went to the park, just before that, we had to go into this, there was just this swamp in the middle of the park, and they were just like, build a raft. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, there's some wood, build a raft. This was the director doing all this. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, we were like, all right, so we had to go into this, this, horrible swamp in the middle of like September um, and and just do this like army training stuff which was quite off the books I would say in terms of like that yeah you've got to be really careful with that kind of shit I would exactly, say especially at, well, I was 17 at the time yeah I mean? um, but it's it's something that I'd never done before and I really enjoyed it and I'd never had that sort of experience before and I was like yeah. So and new it, things it, were being unlocked in yeah, you. Definitely. And certain th- other things were being suppressed. Which is what I wouldn't do in musical theatre. Like, it was all dancey-dancey, nicey-nicey, um, which but, was fine. But maybe that was, at that time, the year before, two years before that. Yeah. That was great for you. Yeah. But maybe you've grown up a bit more and you thought, actually, no, this, yeah. Is, yeah, this is more me. I feel yeah. more comfortable. I thought I was comfortable over there, but actually, no. Mm. This is for me. Because obviously in that sort of industry as well, in that, in that time, you're very competitive. You are at that sort of age. Um, I mean, at any age you're competitive in this industry, but at that age especially, you want to be better than your mate. You want to sure. You want to get the lead part, and you want to go, ha, I got a lead part, blah, blah, blah. This is what you are. And they and they make you competitive, and it's, it's a good thing in, in some ways. Um, it keeps you on your toes. I think you can go too far sometimes, um, but I just I, um, I knew that as a musical theatre performer, I was nowhere near the standard of some of my other kind of um, the pupils in that place. Yeah, I knew I couldn't be hitting those top notes um, as good as my mate Limford, for example, um, and and that was fine. And but that means. But then you, some people got a bit down about it. Like some people go, "Oh, it's just not for me anymore." But you have to find out what the best qualities are within exactly. yourself. Exactly. And you're still learning. Remember, yeah. you're still at the, the the start of the training. And I knew in that in that first year, I was always known for kind of being the kind of actor of the of the group, whereas everyone else was either the singer or the dancer. Sure. Um, and I wasn't that th- that thing. I could still move. I could still hold the tune. I could sing. But I knew I was like. Well, let's play to my strengths here. Let's not kind of go down this route, which I clearly I won't have a career in. Um, let's go into acting, which is what my tutors were always wanting me to do. Um, that's fine. So um, I still had to do my musical theatre course for the second year, which is fine. But instead of doing the musical theatre shows, I went into doing the acting shows instead, which is very odd for, a mus- for, for people to make that crossover as well, is that it was always musical theatre, do musical theatre, the acting course to the acting course. Never the twain shall meet. And they never, and it was always a bit of rivalry, never would they cross over. Oh, was the rivalry? Not, like, healthy rivalry. Right. It wasn't like, we have a, like, musical theatre and the, and the, uh, we don't speak to them. Have a punch up uh, outside. It's not like that at all. Um, but it was always, like, healthy rivalry in, in terms of that and, and, um, they used to call us all twirlies and, um, and all that sort of stuff, which was, it was fun. Um, but it was very rare for us, to, for, for kind of a musical theatre person to go into the acting uh, and the acting kind of comes to the musical theatre. It happened every now and again, but it, was, it wasn't the norm. Um, but I was just like, uh, I got on really well with my acting teachers and um, I went to, to try out for the show, the acting shows. 
Um, and I got into the Crucible and, and the Journey's End and um, never looked back, really. And I was just like... So when the drama schools did come knocking, um, I was like, I don't want to do the musical theatre course, I want to do the acting course. Um, and I did, I did my auditions. Um, I got on the waiting list for Birmingham um, School of Acting, which I was, I was over the moon with. Um, and but I was re- I was the youngest in the year, one of the youngest. Right. So I was, as everyone was eighteen, I was seventeen because um, I was my birthdays in August. So for a seventeen-year-old to be auditioning for drama school was very daunting, and they can see how young I was, and I was very young. I still got a bit of a baby face now. But you was, have, yeah, yeah, in a good way. Yeah, um, and but having a baby face going to drama school, they can tell how young you are. And they were like, we want to offer you places, but I think you need to wait a year um, and just mature a little bit um, because you're so young and this is such an intense course for three years. We don't think you're going to be ready. And I took that into, on board and I was like, okay, but I'll have to be in the, the, big, the, the guy. I'm like, oh, I'm ready, I'm ready, I want to go, yeah, I want to go, I'm ready. And it comes up again, yeah. the arrogance of youth. It, yeah, exactly, yeah, we've all it been is, there, man. it we've is. All been there. It's like, no, I'm ready, I'm, I'm, I'm sick, I'm, I'm so good. Like, and your ego just takes over a little bit. Um, and I waited and waited for Birmingham, I really wanted to go to Birmingham. Like, I, I knew how of a good course it was. Um, and then I got, my, I got my letter through and, I was, and they were like, sorry, um, you've not got your place. And I was gutted because it was slap bang in the middle of um, August as well. And obviously, and I was like, I've got no options. I've got no, I don't want to take a year out because I'll just lose momentum where I'm going. So, Did you feel that you would lose momentum or do you think that that was, uh, at I the time, do you think it was an excuse? No, I didn't. I just think it, in that year, I, I, because it was such a, because they told me so late, I had no options. It was either I work in Woolworths for a year or with my dad in the, in the kitchens um, and then I just I just didn't know what I'd do on the side. Like I, I didn't want to go back to the octagon. I didn't want to. It's not that I felt better. Than that. I just felt like I outgrew that part of my life, and I didn't want to go back and. Well, you don't want to be taking a back step. Yeah, do you? exactly. Yeah, I, I thought I'd done there. I've come out there the other side. I did stagecoach. I came out there the other side, a better person. I've done college now, and I've come out there a better person. So I'm proving all the time, and then for it to just and as my path and my momentum carried on for it to just go boom I was just like hmm so my dad was like why don't you go to uni and I was like yeah no I was told I was told Pendleton uni's not an option it was looked down on and it still is to this day uni's looked down on the industry sometimes um, because it's not an accredited drama school it's not Mountain View it's not RADA it's not all those sort of those sort of places that uh, kind of give you a name in, uh, to get agents and casting directors to see you haven't got that that drama school on your CV and I was like no I've got to go to drama school got to go and he's like well you got to take a year out then no I can't do that either well what are you going to do don't know so, so, then, so what did you do <laughs> so then um, and then there was um, the UCAS clearance uh, that scheme so he um, he showed me this and um and I was like, okay. And there was this um, film school in Wales that was opening. They had a they had a drama they had a drama course there. Um, and they were pumping fourteen million into this new international film school in Newport, which is um, just near Cardiff. And I was like, oh, okay. I had a, so I had a bit more of a look into it. Uh, and it um, you get 
it wasn't open until halfway through my first year. Right. So I was a bit like, oh, so I'm not even going to get in there straight away, blah, blah, blah. But then I looked into it more of, of what this film school was going to do and the equipment that they had and, and the, the facilities that they had. And I was like, okay, that looks good. I've never done film acting before. Was this a course solely about screen acting? It was different. It was because, um, it was in a lot of, I think in a lot of drama, drama school courses, you do like little modules on film, don't you? Um, well, I did very, very little about uh, screen acting and I, I don't know if it's changed. But, well, uh, in, in drama schools, yeah, I think there's the, the odd module on film acting, whereas this is sort of like 50, 50. So you do theatre and film merged into one, but it's not a little bit, it's a lot. Um, and also, again, I didn't want to do too much of the academic side, which is what drama school as well, because it was, again, solely based on performance. But they said it was 60-40 in performance's favour. And I was like, OK. Um, and I was like, OK, let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. Um, and also, obviously, with unis, you get help of the government funding, which... I didn't take into any consideration my drama school. I didn't even think about that, that I wasn't, at that point, able to get government funding for drama schools at that point. Um, so I was like, oh, probably wouldn't be able to go anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, I accept, I went to Newport. I did an audition there, and I got in, uh, and I was like, Oh, cool. so, you, so you still had to audition then? Still had to audition, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had to do... Um, it wasn't as intense as the drama school auditions, like you just went in there with one monologue and that's it. And was this... Were you applying for a three... Was it a three-year three course? Three-year course, right. course, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a performing arts course. It wasn't an acting course, it was performing arts. Um, I was like, okay, let's give it a go. Um, so I started there in September. So you packed up... Moved, up. moved to Wales. Yeah, exactly. And again, I didn't want to stay again because I was eight, hit 18. I was like, I'm not staying in this house anymore. I can't stay in this house. I've got a little brother and sister there screaming their head off. I'm like, I need to get out. So you're, I was like, You're 18, you're going through shit exactly, your own, you're yeah, in your own space. Yeah, exactly. I understand. So I was like, Okay, let's go. Um, so I went to uni um, and the first, and it was all right. Um, and I had a bit of a trouble adapting in terms of the academic side as well because it is academic. Um, and I was just, and I was, I think like three months in, I was like, I'm going to drop out. I can't stand it. We're not doing what I thought we were going to be doing. We're not doing that much script work. We're not doing this, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm just going to quit and I'll just, I'll just wait till drama school. And my dad sat me down again, as usual. He's like, no, stay, stick at it, stick at it. Just give it, just, just get to your end of your first year. Look, you've not even got into the new school. Because your dad's a hero. Yeah, he's he is. always there. Yeah. Um, and he's like, he's not even got to the new school yet. And I was like, okay, okay, that's okay. So it got to just after Christmas, the school was opening. Um, and the facilities there were brilliant. They had three film studios, they had a little theatre, dance studio, lecture halls, they had a library in there, it was open plan, they had all the Macs in there, all the editing suites. I was just like, finally, this is it. Um, and then within that first month, you started doing little film projects. Um, and because they had uh, they had the MA film students there, they had the BA film students there of first, second and third year, um, they were like merging us together, which is what I loved. I was like, brilliant, so you can make some brilliant contacts here as well. And even when they're not part of the film course, you're like, do you want to make a little short film? Yeah, let's go and do it. Um, and there was always options for you just to keep kind of 
being in little films um, all the time and keep acting all and the time. carry on being creative in some A hundred percent, yeah. Another. Whereas, because um, with unis as well, you, you don't get as much tutor time in unis. There's, there's a, there's a, well-known in terms of drama schools, you're there till like nine till six, or even not, not even not ten at night, do you know what I mean? In unis, it's like 16 hours a week. Yeah. Which is... Which, which is in the fir- in the first kind of um, half I was there in my first year. That's what I hate, and I was like, I'm just, I've got so much free time, not doing anything. I'm lucky that I was working; I could get some dollar in. Um, but I was like, this this is not what I'm paying. Uh, luckily, at that time, it was three grand a year. Um, this is not what I'm paying three grand a year for. I'm not getting my money's worth. I'm getting sixteen hours a week of of tutors. Like it's nothing. Then when the film school opened, it all changed because when I wasn't in, when I wasn't in um, lectures I was I was doing little films and um, I was getting well known with the third years the third year acting students who were coming up to the end of year shows and they were looking for people to kind of be in their third year shows um, in their little because um, you do like hour long shows at the end of, of your of your course right um, and they would cast people from like second and first years um, and I heard these were going on, and I was like, "Let's make some, let's get in there and make some friends, and see if I can get in their shows." Um, and I did, and I was, I was really happy that I was because I was doing a lot of film back then. I wasn't doing much theatre because it was all based film. So I did a theatre show in in the local f- um, uh, theatre, which is the Riverfront Theatre there, because um, all your shows got taken from from the union, just got put into the, the local theatre. Okay, you did your exams. Um, and I was, I loved it. I was like, oh yes, I'm in a, I'm in a show, um, in a third year show as well, so I can get people to see me um, in these third year shows that, and I'm a first year. Um, and as that went on, I, I did more and more films. I did more and more like little theatre things, um, and also I was getting more to grips with the academic side, which I never thought I'd do. So you were feeling settled. You're feeling more grounded. Yeah, definitely. Did and you ever feel at any point you you were? In retrospect, you maybe you running before you running before you can walk. Or, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I went in there with such high expectations because I was I was so used to drama school and so used to doing um, a full time kind of performing course. Really, sure. back in college, yeah, it wasn't what it was a bit of a, a big culture shock to me to kind of just sit there and listen to lectures all the time, and I was just like, and and learn about the renaissance of theatre and. And I was just like, oh, I'm not really that bothered. So did you ever think when a drama school said, you know, maybe you should wait another year, do you think there's any yeah. truth in that now, looking yeah, back on it? Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, definitely. Because um, at that point, you've got to be open to everything. Mm. And, you know, you've got to be like a sponge and knowledge is coming at you from... Yeah. If it is in the form of performance or you're sitting at a lecture or you're reading or you're watching yeah, it's definitely. there yeah. you've just got to drink it in I suppose yeah and I was never used to kind of apart from school but in in, in, um, in college I never had someone just sit there at the front of a classroom and just kind of preach all this knowledge to me um, which we had to make notes on and, and all that sort of stuff I was never used to that um, so but you know you've got to change everything. Exactly. You've got to be adaptable. Aren't and you? it, again, it came to to kind of, and I was just like, I just sat down one evening, um, again with my dad, <laughs> um, and he was, uh, and he's just like, just go, go, listen, you got to take it all in. Like, so you've got 
this is an academic course as well. It's not just performing. You've got to you've got to do the academic side, or you won't graduate. It's yeah. quite simple. You, otherwise, you've just wasted your money. I was like, okay. Um, and I started to kind of really get involved in the kind of academic side. Then, then I started like, like I, when it, when it was just, I was just like back of the class, like folded arms, like head down, just like oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, and everyone else like asking questions and, and all that sort of stuff. And when I came back, I was I threw myself into it a little bit more, and I started asking questions. And I started when we were talking when we started learning about kind of Beckett and, and Sarah Kane and um, and all those kind of playwrights um, and Simon Stevens, all those sort of people we were learning about. I was like. Okay, this sound, this place sound quite interesting. It's stuff that I've never really learnt about either. They're all very weird and wonderful plays. Because they were speaking to you in a way. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'd never read those sort of plays before. And again, I'd never really read plays. I was even right. I was in college. We never really read plays apart from maybe the old like script reading. But that in 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 uni they were like you you have to read these plays because you're going to be questioned on them and you're going to be doing little scenes from them as well. So you're going to have to read it. In a way, you know, you should just read them anyway. Oh, of course, yeah, definitely. There's, there's certainly three playwrights there that you're reading yeah. that are kind of uh, essential, so that should be on a reading list, full 100%. stop. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but I'd never had that... I'd never had someone kind of tell me to read a play. Um, and nowhere through my kind of upbringing has anyone ever told me to read a play. Did you never want to read a play? I think I did, but then I think I was just so busy with, like, Everything like after uh, after school stuff and and my GCSEs and sure. when I was in college like in college it was I was there at nine o'clock in the morning till six at night and then you started rehearsals for your show which was six till ten so I never had time to kind of sit down and read a play and then when I was on the bus I just fell asleep sure I was just sleeping no no I understand that just, yeah. and so I just never had like a kind of break and then also I was working at the weekends and in the kitchens and stuff, yeah so I never had a chance to read a play but in uni I had that time I had yeah, that time I on my certainly hands. did. So I started reading Sarah Kane, I started reading the Simon Stevens, I started reading all those sort of playwrights, and I was like, okay. And I discovered Beckett, and I was like, oh, I love Beckett. Um, I'm waiting for, I was like, waiting for Godot and, and all that, and it really appealed to me, and I never thought the kind of, the weird and wonderful stuff of the drowning in the octagon would actually now appeal to me as going, oh, I actually want to do that sort of stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so then... I started going for a uni, started doing obviously more and more films, more and more theatre shows, and obviously developing myself as that. But again, the academic side surprised me the most because then when it came down to my third year and I knew this dissertation was coming, this 10,000 word dissertation, ever since I started, they were like, just to let you know, you've got 10,000 word dissertations to do at the end of your third year. And I was like, oh my God, 10,000 words. I don't think I've ever spoke 10,000 words in my life. And what did. What was was that a free dissertation or was yeah, it? Yeah, you yes. could write your own. You could write um, your own. So it got to a, um, a point, and um, when they were like, "You need to pick your subject," and I was, and everyone was doing the same thing, like, "What is the key to method acting?" And um, but was 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 the method taught there? No. It wasn't, but people well, were still... Have, well, they have no... Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think they were um, educated enough no, to... to write a dissertation. To write a dissertation on that. Um, but, yeah, they, they was, everyone was doing the same thing in terms of, like, feminism within theatre and uh, and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't want to... I didn't, I didn't want to write about that sort of stuff. Sitcoms has always been my passion, and I've always been quite interested in politics as well. So... I went to my tutor, we had a sit down, they're like, what are you thinking about writing your dissertation on? And I was like, I want to do something about sitcoms. 
I've always loved Only Fools and Horses, my favourite show of all time. I've always wanted to write something about that. Um, and uh, Thatcher and that sort of era has always intrigued me in terms of what went on and the kind of working class social movement and all that sort of stuff. So I came up with the idea. I was just like, um, I'm going to write about three sitcoms in the 80s, um, which was affected by Thatcherism, which reflected Thatcherism within sitcoms. And those sitcoms were? So they were The Young Ones, yeah. Yes Minister, uh-huh. and Only Fools and Horses. Right. Uh, and I compared them all, um, and I started writing more and more, and I was like, I actually don't find this a burden anymore. I actually really enjoy writing this. Because um, you're obviously writing something that you're that passionate I about. Yeah, and, yeah. I, I want, and I think people... When they were doing their dissertations, they got bored very quickly because they didn't know about the method. They didn't know about things like that because they hadn't been taught it, and they don't. But surely they shouldn't have been allowed to to write things like that. It was freedom, you... wasn't it? And it well, was, no, I but you know. need to have some sort of knowledge, yeah, before you dive into that. You know, you're saying, you know, I was very passionate about these sitcoms and about this sort of era and the social class at that time in history. So therefore. I'm going to delve into that a bit yeah. more and find out about it. Yeah, and I, yeah, people just... You could tell that people were getting bored of it and they just stopped writing. And because they get bored, they'll go out and party. Where um, Whereas I really enjoyed it. And I was like... And it was, I had to read these big political books and I was like... Phew. I was like reading like Politics for Idiots because I was just like, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and these big like thick books which I'd never even thought I'd ever read in my life. Um, but I didn't mind, um, and I, I really enjoyed it, and and just and learning about those sitcoms and learning about that world was was really really intriguing for me. Um, I've never I've never condoled what Thatcher did or anything like that, but I actually, as a person, I found her very very captivating as a woman and the first woman prime female prime minister, and the way she would just take no no she would just like stand up to all these men and she would just I don't know I just always found it very interesting but obviously with her policies and stuff I didn't agree with um yeah we're not gonna get we're into, not, yeah, we'll we're get into that. gonna get into that no 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 um, um but but then and but then I saw as the 80s went on these sitcoms like with the young ones was the development of Thatcher I think she was, that was a Thatcher baby um and it just and it it just really interested me. And so you how, fi- you finished it. You finished the ten thousand words. I finished it. Yeah. yeah. And I got a, and I got a two one for it, which I never thought I'd do. Which is basically like a what like a B or an A or like an A minus or whatever it is for 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 an academic piece of work ever coming out with a, a scraping a C in English in GCSE. Never would I thought I'd get I'd get that in an essay that's great and what an achievement yeah so I was buzzing about that um and then as my third year went on and as this dissertation went on and as I was doing these shows and these films I was just lacking that training of an actor I think we never really got trained to be actors we did shows we did different techniques by um different practitioners but we never really delved into acting. Right, so your need and... Yeah, complete sense. But your need and your want and your passion to learn yeah. and, and, and 
to be an actor was still there after those three years. Yeah, and I and I. So what was the next step? I wanted to do an MA in drama school. I, I was like, I, as as my third year went on, and as I was in uni, I very much realised that as much as I enjoyed myself, I didn't actually further. I furthered my knowledge, but I'd not actually furthered my career. Because in drama schools, you're put in front of industry professionals all the time. In your third year show, you're getting agents to come watch you. You're getting casting directors. You're getting all these people who will further your career. Now, a little uni in Newport, who's ju- which has basically just opened, has got no contact whatsoever. So in no way, shape or form will a casting director, an agent or anything come and watch my third year show. So I got to that point and I was like... I Did you feel downhearted at that? A little bit, yeah, because I, I invited agents and casting directors to come down and they were like, no, sorry, Mount Views shows at the same time. No, Arts Ed shows at the same time. The Royal Welsh in Cardiff, sorry, their shows at the same time. So I was like, great. I've just been completely discarded by industry people. Um, but even at that time... You know, things like that aren't the end of the world. There's no, always, there's obviously always another route. Yeah, definitely. And there was this other, there was this girl in 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 um, uni that um, was looking into the same thing, like into drama schools. Um, and when I was in uni, no one really was bothered about drama school. Everyone from my course, I think, was not really that serious about acting. Because they kind of were all there to kind of want to be teachers. Some, most of them kind of wanted to steer off to that academic route rather yeah. than the performance side of it, which is what I'd say three or four of us actually really loved. And so, also some people go to uni for the three years to decide where it course. is and what it is they want to do. Yeah, so, but they're just going to give themselves yeah. that three years. And so many people dropped off and so many people started dossing around and started taking the party lifestyle a bit more seriously than their academic lifestyle. Which is what, just what uni is, isn't it, sometimes? Um, There's always time for that. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I knew in my third year it was time for me to knuckle down, not go out and party. That's what first and second year were for. Um, third year is time to knuckle down. Um, so I decided, I was like, let's give the drama schools another go. I'm like, I'm 21 now. I've matured like they said they wanted me to do. Let's go and give it a go. And let me get, I want to get that drama school on my CV to kind of further my career. So, I went back to all the drama schools, um, and um, East, and then I realised that the, God, the fees have gone up from paying thirty, forty pound for my first round of auditions when I was seventeen. Have now jumped up to fifty, sixty, seventy pound, and I was right. like, "Wow, that is an inflation over three years." But you can't just audition for one. You have to audition for more than one um, to kind of get the best hope possible. Of course. So I auditioned for a few. That a lot, a lot. I had a lot of interest in me. Um, but you know, when you go to drama school, that I, I never really believed it until this this second round of auditions. Is that you don't choose the drama school? The drama school chooses you in terms of where you fit in. And I went to Mount View and Guildford and. And Art said, and I was like, not really that, I don't feel that comfortable here. I'm not that bothered. But then I went to East 15, um, 
and I really felt like I fitted in there. It just in, not in terms of like the pupils. Like, that's not not what I mean. I mean just in terms of like the feel of the place, the buzz, yeah. the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and the teachers, and there was a really inspirational teacher there called Andrea. And when I did my audition, she's just different to any teacher that I've ever had. Um. So in my audition, she was when I did my Shakespeare, for example. I was all, I was a bit ridiculed in some of my older auditions. Like, why have you chosen to do Shakespeare in Northern accent? It should be an RP. And I was like, Who who said that to you? Um, and what uh, what drama school audition? That do you was remember? in Guildhall, right? Um, and I was like, No, 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 no. Um, but I was like, Okay, I'll I'll take your opinion on board. And I went into East Fifteen with an RP accent, um, doing my Shakespeare monologue, and she was like, You from you from Manchester? Why are you doing it in a northern accent? She's yeah. like, she was like, what are you doing? I was like, what? She was like, do it in your own accent, please. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, and she was like, and she, she was like, there you go. Do you feel more comfortable doing it now? And I was like, yeah, I do. And I think a lot of terms in terms of Shakespeare, it it, it puts a lot of people off um, who are not used to the RP accent. If you hear Shakespeare in RP accent, it puts me right off in terms of it intimidates me. It really does intimidate me. Um, Sometimes and I, and I really don't. Be, I've it's become the norm now to do Shakespeare in RP. But when she said that I could do my Shakespeare in a Northern accent, oh my god, I felt such relief. I felt like I, I could. I could. And do also, it. you know, if you, if you haven't seen a lot of Shakespeare, or indeed if you have, the language can be quite intimidating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I loved it. I was like, yes, brilliant. So I did it, and um, I got a recall, and. A few months, um, and I got in, and I, I was I was buzzing. I was like, yes, I got in. And I remember being in. I remember being in. I was working at Costa Coffee at the time in uni, um, and this was like literally the back end of uni now that I've just found out I got into drama school to so do the MA, and I was in the middle of Costa Coffee. Um, Don't keep saying Costa Coffee because sorry, I feel that was sorry, 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 no, sorry, sorry. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Um, and I was um, just washing some cups at the back, um, and my flatmate James rang me and was like, "Your letters here." I was like, "Oh my god!" I felt like I'm going to Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was like, "Can you come and get it?" And I was like, oh, "I'm in the middle of a shift." I said to my manager, I was like, please, please, please. It's in the middle of a Saturday, busy Saturday afternoon. Um, I was like, please, it's an hour. I need an hour. And I'll get, I'll get a taxi there and I'll come back. Just like, you can't go. I was like, for God's sake. Um, and I rang my mate James like, mate, I'll pay you a tenner if you come and give it to me right now. I was like, I need to, I need to know. I can't work. I'm not in the right mind state to even sure. work now. I need to know if I've got into this drama school. Um, and he brought it to me and, he, and I opened the letter up and I just remember collapsing to my knees in the middle of like Costa... And like just breaking down in tears and going, ugh, yes, I'm I'm here. I've got the drama school, which is what I've always wanted to do. My dream, I've like I've, I can finally do my dream that I've wanted. Um, and it was brilliant. But then again, because it was the end of uni, uh, this was like what May May June time. Obviously, you start drama school in September. Now with MAs, you don't get any government funding whatsoever. So I've now got between May and September to find twelve thousand pounds. But you did know that, didn't you? You didn't know that you weren't going to get government funding. 
I didn't. I was so naive. I don't. I don't know why. I thought I. I, I just hadn't looked into it. Right. I just thought. I just thought. Oh, I can get. I'm sure I can get because I heard that you can get funding for for four year courses. So I just assumed that I'd be able to get a little bit more money from the government right. to kind of help me pay for my MA. So what was the next step then? So I, I went to the open days. Um, and I was saving. I was. I was. Working. These are the open days at East Fifteen. Yeah. 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 Um, and at that point, I was saving and saving and saving, um, and it got it got to like two months before, and I had about four grand, if that. And I was like, "This is heartbreaking. I'm gonna have to." And I heard about these deferrals that you can defer your place for a year. I was like. I'm gonna have to do it. I'm gonna have to. I want. I, I have to go to drama school. I have to do it. I was like, I felt I just needed to do it, and so I did. I, I, I deferred my place. Um, and what I'd done previous is I'd done panto in my last year of uni, right? And I was gonna do it for free, um, but it was in like the the main theatre there, and I um, and I was one of the dancers in it, and I'd. Um, I was like the head dancer, um, and I said to them, "I can't, I can't do every show because I've, I've still got to work." And I was doing two jobs, working at Costa, and I was working in the hotel. I was like, "I, I need to earn money. I can't do this for free. I'm really sorry." Um, so I can only do one show on, one show off. And they're like, "You can't do that." And I was like, "Well, I can because you're not paying me." Uh, so they went away, and they said, um, "We'll pay you." I was like, brilliant. So in my final year of uni, I was doing um, the panto, and I was doing my third year show. Um, so it wasn't a lot, but it was still enough to get me by. Were you intentionally holding them to ransom then, or was that just... No, uh, not, at, not all. at all. It was just, I, I, I was I physically going, I cannot do every single show because I have to work. I was and I wasn't expecting them to pay me. I was in no position. I was, I was a nobody for them to demand me, me pay. Yeah. But I made it very clear that... I'm. I've got to live. I've got to eat. Like, and if and I, you've got to save for yeah. this MA, and I've got to do six. And there's six weeks there at Panto, eight weeks, whatever it was, which I can't work in, and I can't live for my student loan. I can't. I just can't do that because that pays my rent, and that's about it. Yeah. That's how much it gets me. Um, and they were like, "Okay, we'll pay you." It wasn't a lot. I think it was like three hundred pound a week, um, which is what I was making anyway from Costa and, and um, the hotel. Um, so because I was doing that, um, that made me a little bit of money. So that's where that the kind of free four grand came from. Then because I saved that and a little bit over from my student loan, um, and then fast forward when I deferred my place for the year, they wanted me back for the next year. So they paid me a little bit more to be a bit more of a role in it and uh, an ASM. So I was like, this is my perfect opportunity to save a little bit more while my while I defer my place. So over Christmas, again, um, and I moved back to Manchester at this point. I went after uni and moved back to the parents, you know what I mean, to save a bit of money, yeah. which I was really reluctant to do so because I was like, oh, I don't want to go back. I know, but if you need that money for the MA, you do exactly, anything. Exactly, you make sacrifices. Yeah, so for course. six months pri- previous to doing the second round of Panto, I was working in Bury Market. <laughs> Great market. Yeah, world famous. Yes. <laughs> um, just earning uh, and saving. Um, and then I did Panto, saved a little bit of money. Um, but then I felt like I'd done acting a little bit of a while. I'd done acting. I'd done Panto, but I wasn't really acting in Panto in terms of um, to feed my kind of acting creativity need. Um, 
so I went to Edinburgh French. I was like, it's always been a bucket list of mine to do, just kind of do a check. Um, and there was a theatre company who I met when I was in uni, going out to Edinburgh doing Dracula, um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. And they were doing it in a really weird way. They wanted me to play Renfield and Dr. Seward, but as a split personality. And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds banging. Let's do that. Um, and they were all funding that themselves. Yeah, themselves. But then when we were going out to Edinburgh, we had to pay for our accommodation. We had to pay for yeah, our, I mean, everything. The, I mean, I only know certain comedians that... You know, I've been going to hmm. the fringe for years, and yeah, you don't make money there; you lose yeah. money there. But I didn't realise that at the time, and then when I, and I, so you were doing it, you were going up there and doing it, doing it. So I had to dip oh, into the drama school fund. So um, I mean, we know that now, but what a mistake! Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so you made a loss of how much? Background. Well, it's not that. No. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I went up there and did that. But as I was doing this, I was I was writing off like funding applications. I was trying to get money from the council. I was trying to get money from um, like Julie Walters, Ian McKellen, who I knew. So you were writing people. to other people, as a lot yeah. of people do, and it comes up on the podcast quite yeah. a lot. Was there no way? And I don't know. Was there no way that you could extend your your student loan by anything? Or so there was there was one thing I could do. Um, I couldn't extend my student loan, but I could go to the banks and I could ask for a career development loan, which is I would get £10,000. Right. Which is brilliant until you read the terms and conditions. Then you start paying it back a month after you finish your course, £200 a month for five years. Um, And I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Then old dad comes and sits me down and I'm like, do you realise that that is going to financially set you back and for so many years? And I was like, yeah, but Dad, I'm going to go to drama school. It's my dream. I've, I've, I tried saving for a year. It's not worked. I've worked every hour under the sun. I remember, I remember work, I, this, I was a full-time chef at this point as well. Um, I was working 40, 50 hours a week. Um, and I was just... I was like, Dad, this is my only way. This is the only way I can go. No one's replying to me to give me money from the council. No um, famous actors or anything like that. They're not replying to me. Um, and East 15's just giving me £500 for a grant. That's it. I was like, there's no other way. And he was like, you need to you need to sit down and, and look at this in black and white. He's like, that's, that's £200 every month for five years. Then you've got to put your rent on top of that. Then you've got to put your bills. Then you've got to put living. Um, it's not possible. And I was like... And this was around Christmas time. And I was just like... I'm just chasing a dream I can't afford. So I literally... So you, did you succumb to it then? Did you went, right, it's not happening? Yeah, after my second... This is the second deferral. Um, I just I just packed in. I was just like, it's not going to happen. Um, so I still know what to do. I, I was just like, I've got no drama school training. I've got a uni course and two professional credits of Panto. That's and it. you're back home. And I'm in London now. Oh, you're in London now? I moved to London during that time period because um, my girlfriend lived in London. Um, so I, I came down here. Um, so you moved down to London while she was saving or after you'd made the decision? 
after I made the decision. So then Christmas right. time, I was like, boom, going to move to London. Let's try and give this a go. Um, so what did you think you were going to do when you moved down? I just knew at the time in Manchester, um, there was nothing for me there at that point. I don't think... There wasn't a very thriving theatre scene. Um, Media City had just opened up, and I'd been f- I was like, let's check this out. Did you never sort of write to the Royal Exchange or anything like that? I did, but I didn't know how to get in there. I didn't know, with in terms of me being an actor, apart from joining their youth group, which you is all they offer. You me. didn't want to just write to the casting director and just say, "Look, can you meet me for a cup of tea? This is my situation." No, I didn't. I didn't. I just. I just. No, I just because I didn't. I've never been. Yeah, I just never done it really. I just don't know why I didn't do that. But I went. So anyway, to, you moved. You moved to London yeah, with your girlfriend. But I'd looked at Media City and oh. I thought that would be a new opening because I'd seen this been building over for like five years after being in Manchester and stuff. But there was actually no, there was nothing there in terms of they promised all this new writing and, and bringing, bringing everything to the north, whereas it was actually, all they put there was kids' TV, sport and the news. And I was like, and Coronation Street. And I was like, oh, it's not really opened up many doors for a lot of people. So, yeah, that was my final shot in terms of, I thought Media City was going to save me, but it didn't. Um, so I thought, right, I'm going to go to London. Um, and you know, I had quite a lot of friends in London as well, who from Pendleton, who have, who have now come out the other side of drama school and are working in the West End. Um, so I came down to London, and I, it came to a point where I thought, this, I've not, I've clearly got some sort of talent. I clearly, I can act. But every time that I've tried to get through a door... It's always been about money, and it, and it, every every step of the way, every step of the way, it was it was it seemed to always be about money. Whether it was a panto, whether it was the drama school fees, whether it was the uni fees, whether I couldn't afford to go on a trip, whether I, everything, it just all came down to money at the end of the day. Um, so I started kind of writing some blogs. I started kind of. Um, saying, is there anyone that feels the same? Is there other people that this money barrier has prevented them from doing anything? Just for a way for you to express yourself, you wrote these blogs. Yeah, Um, and I put them on kind of like Twitter and Facebook and things like that, but people started to take to it. Um, So I started using the hashtag, which I made up, called Actor Awareness. And from there people were kind of going, yeah, I feel exactly the same. I'm in the same boat. Uh, what should we do about it? Blah, blah, blah. And I started getting a bit mouthy. I started, like, calling drama schools out. I started going, why you pay- Why is it so expensive for these for these audition fees? In no other industry do you do you have to pay for, for an audition, uh, for an interview. Like, why do you pay that? And just all the anger that I've been building up over, the, over my life in terms of, like, me not being able to get in the industry because of money. I just kind of like splurted it out for about six months. Um, and I started kind of... People I could get a following for it. I started getting a following. And the stage picked it up. Um, and they wrote an article on me. And they said, actor awareness wouldn't be nothing more than just a hashtag. That's all you'll be. And I was like... That's what they said. That's what they wrote an article about. Yeah. So being very unsupportive. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I was like, okay. 
I loved that at the end of the day. I, it was, it was. I was, I was going to call it a day. I was like, that was the, that was the final nail in my coffin. I was like, that's it. I'm done with acting. I'm done. Like, I'm fed up of this. Every single door that I try and open a little bit just gets slammed in my face. I'm done. Um, and um, and I was, but then I, I, let, I let it simmer for a week, and I was like, no. There's so many people telling me no. I'm going to go yes for once. So I started up Actor Awareness and I met in the old Phoenix Artist Club in Soho. Um, I got about 50 people down there. I was like, if you feel the same, come on, let's have a chat. So we all went down there, about 50 of us, um, and we just had a chat. I was just like, what, 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 let's, let's do something about this. That the, the, the industry is dominated by, by these middle classes and the, the, these, these doors are... are, are to shut off for people like us um, so I said let's do something about it and we all brainstormed different ideas and I heard about these scratch nights which is the, all these new writing nights that are popping up over London they, weren't as, they, were, they were a little bit back then they weren't that fashionable as they were now um, I heard about them and I was like okay so was it where people could just submit pieces of writing? Yeah, right. yeah, basically. Uh, like little 15, 20 minute short pieces of writing uh, and that's it. Uh, and I was like, I like that, I like that. That means that I can create a community of people, of not just actors, but writers, directors um, and things like that. So I was like, let's, let's do that. So I got in contact with the Canal Cafe up in North London and I was like, I want to do one of these new writing nights but I want to do it a little bit differently. So I've seen these new writing nights before, and they're all they're all just writing about love and fear and things like that. And I was like, that's not really delving too much into the kind of artistic mind there. And I don't think you're going to make too much of a change with that. So I, and I was the sole purpose of setting up these scratch nights was to make a change. So I said, well, why don't we tackle minorities in the industry? Why don't we start putting these scratch night themes as we're tackling mental health, we're tackling race, we're tackling gender, we're tackling class. Um, because I was fed up of, when, when we talk about equality and diversity in the industry, we've got all those protected categories of gender, disability, um, uh, sexuality, and, and all that sort of stuff. But when you talk about the subject of class, that's not, that's not brought up as a taboo. People don't like talking about class. And I wanted to kind of really. Do you think? Yeah. If I if I I, I've, I found it all through. I, I, for example, if I, I went to the arts council from, uh, to get funding for this when it first started, and they were like, no, 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 don't like talking about class. Don't like you should you, you can't use the word class in your pitch. That is what they said to me. Right. Um, and I was like, right, okay. Um, and it just came more and more predominant as I as I went on with that to as a journey, um, and I, I wanted to kind of bring the forefront of class up. And this was when were you shocked when they said that? Yeah, because yeah. I was just like, what? Like that it is one hundred percent something that needs to be talked about. But they shut me down straight away, um, and I didn't understand why, um, because it was just coming to the forefront. I think it was. Helen Mirren had just spoke at the BAFTAs or something like that. For the first time, a public person um, who I'd heard about speak about the issue of class in the industry. 
and it and that really spoke to me and I was like well if Helen Mirren can talk about it and not get shut down I can do it um, and then it kind of it's that that was a catalyst because then I started going talking about it but then also people like Judy Walters started coming out of the woodwork and James McAvoy and they all started talking about how they wouldn't be able to afford drama school if they were in the industry now uh, and I was like so this is an issue I've been right I've been doing this for like six months and I was like I'm right. I'm completely right. Um, and how dare the Arts Council shut me down and say that that's not an issue. So I was like, let's set these scratch nights up. So um, I set the issue of class up. Um, I said the theme is class. Um, and I just put a, a social media post out and I said, I just want 15-minute bits of writing under the theme of class. It can be your own interpretation but I want it to be on about class. Yeah. I want to bring this conversation to the forefront of the industry because it needs to be spoken about. Um, and we did. Um, we had like a little wonderful 70-seater theatre. Um, and we pick, I picked four shows. Um, and it was a wonderful night. It was wonderful. Um, and we got rave reviews about it. We, um, It was a really good night. Everyone was really taken to it and was like thank god you're and people were starting to speak about it yeah, the word um, was getting out yeah um, so then we were like okay what's the next issue we can tackle um, and we were like well there's a it's a very male dominated industry let's do something for the women so we we set up women's night which was only women directors and writers um, and that went down even better than the class night like the women um, were just flocking in they were we had like 70 submissions for this one um, and they were like thank god you're talking about yeah blah 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 and they were sending all the submissions in and we did it again sold it out again uh, and it was wonderful and word was finally getting out about about us um, so then we had contact with The Guardian The Guardian contacted us ITV News contacted us BBC Radio 5 Live all of those kind of places started hearing about our work um, when you say our work, who else was on board now? Because this was something that you started. So um, it was me at this point, um, but about a year later, um, I've got my uh, producer, Steph, um, Stephanie Perry. She, it was, actually was becoming quite big now. Um, and people were like always asking me, how can I help, how can I help? But it was like my, my little baby, and I was fed up of people letting me down. Of course. So I was just like, I'm going to do it myself. I'll do it myself. I don't need anyone's help because um, I'm fed up of people letting me down all the time, and I won't let myself down, so I'll just do it myself. But it came to a point where I wanted to release a newsletter. I wanted to kind of give something back to the followers that had um, uh, that been following from day one. Um, and so obviously been so supportive of course yeah. yeah and we wouldn't be where we are now without them so I wanted to kind of do something give something back I couldn't do a lot because obviously um, I hadn't got a lot of money myself and I hadn't got that many contacts but the contacts I did have I could use in a good way so I had contacts with theatres and stuff so what I'd do is release a newsletter every every month Um write about what's going on in the industry, keep people up to date, kind of do what the stage do, but offer discounts. So we'd offer discounts for shows, like fringe shows, get people, help them promote. So if you had a show, fine, we'll put it in the newsletter, we'll get, we'll put it in there, and if you give us a little, like, 10% discount for actor awareness supporters, we'll get you people in your theatre to watch it. 
um, and people loved it. Um, we were given like headshot discounts, showreel discounts, just little bits to kind of help people um, for this actor's start kit that's so expensive to kind of accumulate with yeah. your spotlight fee, headshots and showreel. Um, and trying to get people watching theatre. Um, so Steph... I'd just done a scratch night with Steph. She got in contact with me um, and she wanted to do the newsletter. And I was like, okay, you can do it. But I just, I didn't, I didn't tell her, I said you can do it, but I didn't give her any instruction. I just said, just go and do it. And I just, I thought this would be a test to see if she'll do it or not without me pushing it. Cause I'm fed up with pushing people. Um, and she did it in about three weeks she came back and she's like there's your newsletter I was like oh you haven't let me down so I was like okay do you want to do let's see how this goes I was like can you do me another one she's like yeah uh, and she just kept doing it and doing it and doing it because um, she'd been writing for my scratch nights as well so that's how I knew her um, and she, and as the, as the trust went on and more and more and more I was like she wanted to kind of Helped me do more with actor awareness as we kept getting bigger and bigger uh, with the scratch nights and stuff like that. Um, I was, I think I was in a bit of a predicament. I think I was doing, I was busy for one of the scratch nights uh, and I was like, look, the only person that I can trust at the moment in terms of like who knows what actor awareness is doing, will you run the night for me? And she was like, yeah. And it went down to success. So I was like, how about... Because I, I wanted to do other projects. I wanted to set up in Manchester. I wanted to do all the other stuff as well. Um, and the documentary had started and, and all that sort of stuff. So I was like, I need, I did need help. It was beyond me doing it by myself anymore. I needed help. And she was the closest person who had not let me down, who could do it. So I said, do you want to run the scratch nights? Do you want to kind of... She was she was a writer herself and she was like yeah I think I'd like to do that so she did it and she started picking all the shows for me she's reading all the submissions through picking the best four shows and we kind of run the scratch nights like that and was she still running things by you or were you giving her like total responsibility she still runs things by me yeah. now, she's, now she's at the point where she can just do what she wants yeah. in terms of I trust her judgement on a lot of things but yeah it's about easing that person into that sort of thing that I've I've know inside out um and now she runs them amazingly. And as, as we got a bigger and bigger reputation with our scratch nights, um, Spotlight came on board and picked us up. Um, I was very angry at Spotlight in terms of, I think they're a bit of a closed shop sometimes. So in terms of the, this, this £150 fee that you have to pay slap out all at once, I've always been a pioneer. They have to split it up into monthly payments, which they have done now. Um, and... Now, I wrote them a, a, an email. I was like, "I need to. Can we just meet? I just want to. I just want to tell you how I can help you." Um, and they're like, "Yeah, fine, come in." I was like, "Okay, that was easy." Um, and we met in and a door open, not yeah, a door closed. Exactly. Uh, and they they wanted to know more about the scratch nights, and they were. Um, and I was like, "I'm doing all this for free," and yes, people are getting good stuff out of it and we are tackling issues and we are getting publicity um, but we need to take that next step because we're doing these fringe venues on like the edges of London and it's really hard to kind of get people up there or down there and it was hard and they were like we'll just use her I was like what? Um, they were like yeah we've they were just, they've just undergone a refurb 
Uh, and they were like, yeah, we've got like a little stage that you can just use. Uh, we'll give it to you. Um, and we'll, we'll, how much money um, are you talking that you need? And I'll say, went out with a ridiculous number. And they were like, no, no, no. Let's pay a little. They can pay a little bit, your actors. So I pay them like 30 quid each. Um, just kind of for their time, for doing these 15-minute performances. Right. Um, and they were like, and I was like, brilliant. We've taken that next step. We're now sponsored by Spotlight. We do our scratch nights in the middle of the West End. And we can now put these people, these wonderful, wonderful pieces of new writing, these wonderful new bits of talent who would not normally have the chance, um, put in front of industry professionals that, like, um, casting directors and agents, and yeah. which is what they need, which is what I... And I want to kind of rival the drama school process in terms of you don't have to go to drama school. I want to create the the route of 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 if you don't go to drama school, what's the option? What is your option to do? There isn't many, many options, but I want actor awareness to kind of be that option. You can come be in one of our scratch nights and that end of year, third year show that you'll do after three years of training, well I'll give it to you here in the middle of the West End. Um and I'll pay you for it. Um, do you charge people to come into the scratch nights? Um, so it's half and half. Spotlight members go free. That's part of the agreement that we have with Spotlight. And the other people pay £8. If you're a non-Spotlight member, it's £8 uh, for that. But that's just to kind of help us cover our budget yeah. of, of everything. So yeah. we, no one makes a profit out of this. This is just to pay Steph 60 quid for kind of reading through the... Pay for her time. Yeah. Pay me 60 quid that day to kind of organising it all and that's it and then the rest of it goes into um, well there isn't the rest of it because that's it <laughs> Tom I think what you're doing is incredible Thank and you. you feel like you're really making a change and you're on the right path now yes definitely 100% um, and I think with Actor Awareness we are at that point now where we are making change because from those scratch nights we've we've had full length shows come out of it and now touring London Fringe venues um, Manchester we've got that we've got the documentary that's come out of it we've got loads of amazing projects that's come out from just one angry man that's had many doors <laughs> shut in his face <laughs> Tom where can people uh, find out more about Actor Awareness um, so we've got our Twitter and Facebook which is at Actor Awareness you can go on our website which is www.actorawareness.co.uk um, and yeah just follow it all in there Tom it's been a pleasure thank you man thank you mate <laughs> And there we have it. Episode 31 is done. Uh, massive thanks to Tom for giving up his time and being so honest and open about his his struggles and, you know, his success. He seems in a good place. He seems really happy. And all, me and Griff here, we just wish him all the best. So do go check out uh, Actors Awareness and now Writers Awareness. Go join them on social media, see what they're up to, and if it's for you, go down and support. Well, we're done. We shall see you next week for episode 32. You have a brilliant week, and thank you again for joining us. Take care, won't you? I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff, and this has been The Two Shot Podcast. Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. Cheers.